Hi and welcome to Series 5, Episode 12 of the Canny Conversations Podcast, powered by the Pathway Group. My name's Mark Wakeley and I'm one of the people who bring you these podcasts each week. In this series, Safras Ali will be talking to some of the business people he's met and worked with in his 23 years at the heart of the West Midlands business community. In this inspiring episode and the continuation of Safraz's conversation with Jan Richardson, CEO of Occupational Awards Limited, they talk about her remarkable 35 plus year career journey in education and training. Jan shares the challenges she faced early on as a young single mother, yet persevered to gain qualifications and to progress through the roles from trainer to senior leader. She provides candid insights on juggling work and family, overcoming barriers and setbacks, and the importance of resilience. Jan discusses her current role as CEO of Occupational Awards Limited, leading the organisation through growth and change. She offers wisdom on building culture, engaging employees, and future-proofing the business. Her stories impart nuggets of career advice and leadership best practice. Jan leaves us with a powerful message to keep evolving and not retire. So let's rejoin Safraz and Jan. I'm dying to delve into the journey. You know, you're a CEO. I've got a lot of respect for yourself as a leader within the sector. Uh, you've had experience in previously as a deputy uh, managing director. You know, you've you've said before a lot of experience with large national uh, organisations. Uh, organizations delivering thousands and thousands of learners where you're the person sort of leading and part of the team leading on the curriculum, the design, the impact element of it. You know, you come from a background which is all about sort of learning, all about that sort of delivering on the outcomes, you know, quality, curriculum, always think about the learner and what the learner is is getting, you know, the book for their money to a certain, for a certain level of their time and the impact that you're making. Talk to us in terms of the the journey that got you here and I want to go to the beginning really if I can <laughs> in terms of school education college education the you know the, the first manager the first role the sort of jobs that you've had please uh, share the, the journey the, the, the story okay well <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be interesting um, I've got to be honest I was somebody that loved school didn't always perform as best as um, I think my teachers hoped. And um, I, I found when I moved house recently, one of my old school reports that said I was reticent. Reticent. Um, which um, I think nobody would believe these days whatsoever. I didn't do too bad at my O-levels. I didn't do great at my A-levels. I did stay on for A-levels. However, and I, I did want to go to university. However, I ended up one of those things that people call a single unmarried mother. Okay. Uh, by uh, having a baby at 18, which um, I think most people think and thought then back in 1980 was the death knell to you getting on with anything. And I certainly didn't go to university at that point. However, really enjoyed being a mother, but really liked working as well. So I went back to college and redid my A-levels. Yeah. And then I did a HNC in high business, national certificate. a high national certificate in, in business and management. And then I, by that time I'd got married and I'd had another baby. And my husband said to me, 
I've got a job in Scotland. And so we decided to move to Scotland, which was a bit of a shame because the college that I'd gone to to do my HNC had actually asked me to be a part-time lecturer in the evening. But I had to give that up because I wanted to go to Scotland with my husband. But when I got to Scotland, I found a job with a training provider to be a trainer assessor on their YTS program. So I worked there five days a week and different young people came in every day to do training in uh, subjects such as IT, business, finance, very much the background I'd done my HNC in. But then I ended up having another baby. Okay, okay. Nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with having children, yeah. No, absolutely yeah. nothing I've, wrong. I've got, I've got four children myself, so. <laughs> nothing wrong with having children. Yeah. Unfortunately. It, it, sometimes it doesn't help the career, though. <laughs> but it doesn't have a great impact on your career. And it certainly didn't have a great impact on your career in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Because the company said to me, we don't think, and you can't do this nowadays, but this is actually the conversation they had with me. We don't think you'll be able to manage the job with three children because yeah. it's hard going to work when you've got children. It was in an era at the time, wasn't it? It was, it was the, definitely the, the, the era. Yeah, at, yeah. there at is the a time. norm at the time. Because yeah. I've had, you know, I started work in the 1970s where I've got to be honest with you, one of the people that recruited me, part of his condition was, um, could I make a good cup of tea? Oh, God. So that, uh, you know, not only was it the interview question, he actually had me go yeah, and make yeah. a cup of tea oh, as part of the interview. But um, it, it, it was the thing at the it, time. That, it was normal, was, wasn't it? <laughs> that was absolutely what it was like, you know. And besides that, I've also back in the seventies and the eighties had this problem that the general view of women that had blonde hair meant that they weren't very clever. So uh, there was all sorts of these different stereotypes that went on. And back in the late 80s, we didn't have the same conditions in terms of maternity leave. There wasn't paternity leave the same. So, um, you know, I kind of stopped working again and ended up, because I was bored, did a foundation degree. When I moved to the North East... In 1994, having had my fourth child, I decided to go to university and um, get a HND, a high national diploma. And I then went on to do a degree in business and administration part time in the evening because I said to myself, I still want to do a degree. So even though I'm now in my mid 30s, And years have gone by since I wanted to do that at 18. There's no reason why I can't go and still do that. I got a part-time job with YMCA training as a trainer and did my degree part-time. YMCA were a brilliant company to work for. Not only did they have the right ethos for me, they were very supportive and they employed me originally as a trainer part-time. They then gave me a permanent job three days a week as a training advisor. And then through applying for a job as area manager for North Yorkshire, I became the area manager for North Yorkshire. And they supported me through my degree, which was brilliant. And I managed to prove a lot of people wrong that a single unmarried mother originally and with four children by then, 
could work full time and hold down a job and do it well. And I then applied a few years into that job to be on the board of the Learning and Skills Council. And I was successful in that. And once my confidence had grown and I realised that I could do those things and I could still achieve, then really I decided, as they say in the northeast, if you don't ask, you don't get. And Shy Ben's getting out, they say there. It's their saying. So I wanted. What's, to, the, what's that saying? Shy Ben's getting out. So shy, basic, Ben's, shy Ben's getting out. So basically. So if, if, you don't, if you don't ask, you don't get. You don't ask, you don't shy get. Shy Ben's getting which out. Which really means, in terms of the world of work, if you don't try, you will never know. If you don't try, then you're no better off, are you? But if you try and you fail, then you can try again. But you don't know whether you're going to succeed. And resilience is a key thing in life that helps you get on. Has everything been successful in plain sailing for me? No. Have I had my rejections and my knockbacks? Yes. But you just keep trying and moving forward and you will succeed you will achieve i really believe as well if you've got a positive attitude then you can achieve anything so i then you know carried on working carried on looking and doing projects i like to do I set myself up my own business as a consultant and started doing lots of work for the different government departments at the time that existed then. There was a lot of work yeah. in education consultancy back in the 90s. There was a lot of money around for that kind of thing. So I worked on, on a lot of national projects. And after 10 years of doing that, I decided that I wanted to go back working in a team again. So I applied for a job as head of curriculum at system training and was successful. And during all of that time as well, I'd applied to be uh, an additional inspector with what was called the adult learning inspectorate that later went over to Ofsted. And I spent 15 years being uh, an additional inspector, which meant that people in training wanted me to teach them how to be a nominee for inspection, but companies wanted to, me to be their nominee for inspection and to head up their curriculum and quality departments so that they could get good results with Ofsted. And by then, I'd got 15, 20 years experience from being an assessor and a trainer up through the ranks to knowing what Ofsted were looking for in those inspections. And therefore, I kind of went to system to be head of curriculum. I was headhunted to go to A4E because they'd had a poor inspection, got a grade four. When I left two years later, when they'd been re-inspected, they got seven twos, which was good yeah. across the board. I was asked to go and move to InterServe Learning and Employment, who'd bought ESG and be their director of quality and curriculum because they'd bought this big company. They wanted to make sure that it was going to operate well and do well in inspection. So I spent three years there doing that and left when they'd got a good inspection. But I knew 
that long term that wasn't what I wanted to do. I'd reached a stage in my career where I wanted what I call to move to the other side of the fence. Mm -hmm. I'd kind of wanted to move into the awarding endpoint assessment world because at InterServe, I'd spent quite a bit of time learning about the levy. We had large levy Client, um, uh, clients and customers there. I'd started developing the curriculum for standards with my team and the operational teams. And I wanted to look at endpoint assessment, you know, from the other end of the spectrum. And that was when I got the job at NOCN, which was great. You know, that was a really interesting job. It was a very diverse company. It meant I could step up to the next level and started to, you know, use some of the skills and ideas that I'd had for how a company might operate in the new realm of education with apprenticeships and, and the levy. And I was lucky enough to go and travel to America a couple of times on trade missions for apprenticeships. But my my big thing in terms of my career journey has always been give it a go, you know, try. If you try and succeed, that's great, but you should learn from the things you don't succeed in as much as the things you do succeed in. You know, John, you've made my job a lot easier because you've fluidly just gone past the, the whole journey and, you know, I feel there's been so so many nuggets throughout that journey that that are are absolute inspiration i mean teary eyed in some aspects of it just listening to it uh some of the challenges you know you you having to relive some of those moments because you know what you can reflect on it's it's part of who you are it's part of your dna now you know the fact that you've you know you're a family oriented individual that's always been at the heart of who you are you know you've got you said four children, you've been a single mom, you've actually lived and breathed the sacrifices that you've made. You know, you've moved to Scotland, you moved to Scotland based on that. You, you've you had to look at changing your role from a large uh, multinational operating sort of setup to a smaller base. And you've done the balance in terms of, you know, the work-life choice balance and prioritizing what you need to prioritize living through some of those challenges you know the word resilience has been mentioned a number of times and i know it's all in our vocabulary but you've lived and breathed resilience through your life and that's got you here so hats off in terms of that and absolutely inspirational in terms of sharing that and i i felt like i've achieved what i wanted to achieve in terms of getting to know Jan behind the LinkedIn profile, Jan behind the the, the the speaker that we see, and Jan behind some of the content that you put out there. So th- thank you for sharing that. Much, much appreciate that. Jan, if I can, if I can, I want to talk a little bit about some of the challenges now uh, within the organization and building the organization. And I'm going to touch on, because you, you know, you, you're sharing a lot of what I would call leadership bites. And, and throughout this discussion, you're giving career sort of tips as well in terms of people out there you know uh, and some real nuggets of wisdom nuggets of gold there uh you know you've got a qualification which you know not many people actually look at which is a coaching qualification mm-hmm. you've studied the art of coaching people you come across as a person that i could i could personally pour my heart out to but you will you're also at the same time a numbers person as well, you know, You know, whenever I go through this and I look at, you know, what you achieved and data is there, MIS is there, uh, very much numbers left, very much P&L centric, very much balance sheet, but also the data, the numbers and fitting in with 
all the intrinsic stuff, the people stuff, the touchy-feely stuff. So you've got the numbers, you've got your data, you've got the touchy-feely stuff, you've got your customer-centric, you know, decisions are sometimes made on emotion stuff as well. So talk to me and, and share with us and share with the audience in terms of your style of leadership. Uh, you mentioned previously that you've been given opportunities and you've had a fantastic, fantastic board that supports you. You know, they've given you space, they've give, they've trusted your, your insights, you've come to them with certain thoughts and ideas, they've believed in you, they've empowered you, they've given you that opportunity to make that difference. And you've, you've had different roles. Again, there's a lot of questions that I'm throwing in here and I'm throwing all out there. You can pick and choose whichever <laughs> you want to add. What's you know? So if if if, if say your, your board of governors is list, listening to yourself, you know, what what gets the best out of you at this morning in time? How do you get the best out of other people? And how have you adapted your thinking over the years? And then I'll pick up anything else that that may be missed afterwards. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think that you've got to get to know your people. You've got to play to their strengths. And I know this kind of sounds management speak, but I strongly believe and what I learned through doing the coaching qualification over years was that you need to get their input and their feedback. People don't respond to you constantly telling them what to do. They've got to be part of the discussion and the journey. So very much when I went into OAL, it was about having those individual one-to-ones with everybody, finding out from them what worked well, what didn't work well, what they thought we should be focusing on. And a very much, such a small team, talk to them about it was us you know everybody says there's no I in team there really isn't any I in running a successful organization to run a success successful organization you've got to make sure that you're playing to people's strengths that they understand what it is that they've got to do what part they're playing, what they're doing and contributing has got to be clear to them to the overall goals and strategy of the organisation. And that sounds really highfalutin, but in a small organisation, we've got to know what it is we're trying to achieve this week, next week, this year, you know, set small goals and small challenges but keep people engaged, do things with people, not to people. That was my mantra, and I use it all the time with the team. And as we've grown and we've developed, I talk to the senior team, and those people who were with me at the beginning have become the senior team, and they've now brought staff in themselves, and those staff work for them. And I coach that team in having the same culture and working in a similar way to make sure that we still have the culture we had when we were a small team and try and keep some aspects of that culture. Culture is very 
dear to my heart, having the right culture in the organisation and, and making sure that people feel involved, feel like their job is worth something, that they understand what they're getting out of bed for and what they're contributing every day to the success of that company, but also how they can share in the success of that company as well. So I'm very keen on that sharing success. But when it comes to working outwardly, as well as internally, my big, big saying is do not overpromise and underdeliver. So I'm very strong on when do you think you'll be able to do that by and people setting their own targets and goals, look in your diary, check when you can do it by. Keep me informed because things get in the way, life gets in mm. the way. Mm. But giving them the space to have that ownership and contribution themselves has meant that that team has helped me create the OAL it is today. But in the same way, that's how I've worked with the board. Like I said to you, they were very nervous, very cautious. So I promised them certain things from one board meeting to another. But I tried not to overpromise over and underdeliver. Mm. And as I set those goals and was honest and open with them, and that was one of the conversations I had with the team in the first year, what should our values be? Let's decide what our values are. Because at the time I came in, we just had the same values as the National Skills Academy for Food and Drink, but we weren't the same as the National Skills Academy for Food and Drink. So we created our own values. And that is one of the things that I've rooted in all discussions at OAL. We talk about, is that central to our values? Is that meaningful to our mission? Are we living our values of open honesty, creativity, are those things being lived in the things we're doing and the interactions we're having with our customers and the interactions with our stakeholders? And that's the same way I've engaged with the board. I involved the board in all of that development, involved them in strategic discussions. They've supported me really well in developing the strategy and believing in me when I've suggested some things they've been a bit nervous about. But along with that, I've not overpromised and underdelivered. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, while you're talking, I'm making one of these notes because I'm thinking, you know, sometimes these are the things that, you know, we sometimes forget. You know, we talk about management speak and all the rest of it, but sometimes it's going back to, uh, in a way, basics in some elements of it, basic principles of, of communication, basic principle of, principles of human interaction, relationships, you know, the honesty, the integrity, uh, and just telling people how things are as opposed to gobbledygook speak or, you know, simp simplifying everything. You know, that, that's, that's fantastic, fantastic. So, you know, you as the CEO of, an organize, of this organization, uh, definitely very much collaborative, very, very much partnership-led, very much in terms of going out there, engaging with the community, which is the further education sector, the work-based sector, the industry that we, we call ourselves, skills and employability, but also at the same time, the community that the the business operates in, 
And you as a person, you've lived uh, in uh, different parts of the region, you've travelled on a worldwide basis, you've done your stint there, but you also now are, are very much an organisation which is very much northeast based uh the northeast culture you're invested in that area you're an ambassador for the uh appreciation ambassador for yorkshire and humberside uh tell us a little bit about the makeup of the staff that you've got the 20 staff you know how important is it in terms of the localization as aspect of it bearing in mind the physical place where you're based doesn't necessarily define, and in your case, doesn't define the customers that you service, but you still sort of associate yourself as a Northeast provider, but not delivering nationally. Mm -hmm. So communities, the communities that you're based in, your investment in those communities, your investment in the sector as well, because I think you're doing all of that. But share share with us in terms of, you know, obviously that's been a, a conscious decision. That's been something that you've spearheaded. So share your thoughts, yeah. please. So, um, yeah, obviously in York, we have a head office and our core team is based in York. However, through COVID and previously, we had some staff who lived in other parts of the, of the country. So it's not been a restriction other than for general core team for people to be based um, in York all the time. Although it is a requirement for them to come to York and be willing to travel to York because the fact that the company is set up in York and it's Yorkshire based is really close to our heart. And therefore, one of the things we've wanted to do is invest in North Yorkshire and the Humber. And therefore, that's why I'm an ambassador for apprenticeships in North Yorkshire. And we link a lot with quite a lot of companies in North Yorkshire. And we've invested in the North Yorkshire Apprenticeship Awards in order to to give something back into the community in North Yorkshire. However, in order to operate as a company nationally, we've needed staff all over the country, which is where we're harnessing technology in order to still have that bigger, wider team to facilitate a national organisation. But also, we've wanted to give back into the sector and invest in how apprenticeships are developed nationally and be able to influence that policy. And therefore, we've engaged in with other organisations so that we're able to influence and develop what needs to happen in the field of employability and apprenticeships, but also be able to take that learning and influence back into North Yorkshire and be able to use that with the companies there. So we've invested in Made in Yorkshire in order to support our engineering and manufacturing organisations in the Yorkshire and Humber area because, you know, like they say, sometimes you can take the girl out of Yorkshire, <laughs> but yeah. you can't take Yorkshire out, out of the girl. The girl. Yeah. It's the same with OAL. You know, in terms of Yorkshire is at the core of what we do, and therefore we need to invest back into that area because there's not always enough investment in the north, really, in general. 
you started the journey when you you know when you took on the role and you did a lot of sort of deep diving and understanding the uniqueness of the organization and how you're going to differentiate and at the time you know you asked yourself the question you asked the team could the question as well you know what's going to make us different what's going to keep us standing out and a big part of that was the relationships big part of that was the people first element of it you know and big part of that was the customer service you know you've grown as an organization you've obviously you're cultivating the culture that's a big part of it you're ensuring the fact that that's sustained but there's challenges when you're growing an organization you've doubled the this does the standards uh, more than double the standards you've got a growth plan you're diversifying how do we ensure what your core beliefs are remain what with the growth because you know you've got a team of people now that are now also recruiting you've got people that you've taken on and like most cases you you likely to be part of all the recruitment uh, it, it it can't you can't you can't be there you know you have to trust people to do the right thing uh to live and breathe your values but also at the same time the core vision the mission particularly in terms of the differential keeping that nurturing that how do we do that in terms of the next year the next two years the next three years well we have various activities through the year in the team so we do some events where we work together on, you know, how can we bring the mission and the vision to life? So we have away days as a team where we bring everybody and it's mandatory. It's part of the recruitment, mm. you know. So we do those days through the year in order to discuss and develop and support the team so they feel part of the OAL family. Mm. But you're absolutely right, Saf. The thing you've got to do is let go as mm. well, haven't mm. you? You know, you've got to trust your people. You've got to give them that autonomy and trust them that they will replicate that culture, that they'll bring to life that mission and vision and those values within themselves, but also be able to communicate that to the new staff that they bring in so that it doesn't get diluted as you grow. It just gets stronger. And that's those are the conversations we have. Don't get me wrong, we don't get it right all the time. And we've been through some challenging times. And this year, I introduced in January to the team what I called OAL 2.0. Because after three years and, you know, the growth that we'd experienced, it had become apparent to me when I'd had some downtime over Christmas that we couldn't carry on growing and operate in the way we'd always operated. We'd reached that, you know, that tipping point where we needed to do a root and branch review of where we were at, what we were doing, how we were doing it, how the systems worked, how we worked, how our policies and procedures worked. You know, the nuts and bolts needed a review in order to check that they would work and operate in a different way to meet the growing needs of the business growth, the people growth and the changes. You know, you can't remain the same. You've got to keep changing. You've got to keep diversifying. You've got to keep looking at what is the best way, the most effective and efficient way to work as an organisation. 
And because we have the whole team every Monday, 9.30, we have an MS Teams meeting where all of us, the whole, all the employees come on and as different new people have joined, they, they obviously sit there and they think, oh my goodness, mate, we call it our wellbeing call. Our coffee, it's, it's our coffee morning. You know, if you were going into the office every day, you'd probably all have a chat as you were making a cup of coffee. And it was one of the things we started during COVID and we've continued. So 9.30 every Monday morning, you can't get anybody in OAL because we're all on this call, which some people obviously find awful when they first join because we sit there and we talk about, did you do anything interesting at the weekend you want to share with everybody else? And gradually they open up and they become part of the family. And we have a coffee and we have a chat about what we all did at the weekend, just as you would do if you were in an office. However, the other part of the call we talk about, and what does everybody need to know this week and where are we going and what's happening with OAL 2.0 or anything else that everybody needs to know. And we might arrange follow-up Teams meetings to, to keep that communication communication going. And those are the things we've tried to build in. It's how do you create the company of the future when you don't know what the future is going to be. Part of that is being staying resilient, relevant, or adaptable. All the all the things that you've been doing, you know, you've you've done that throughout your life. You've done that uh, throughout your career history, your your life history, your work life choices that you've made. Uh, like you said, you, you know, there's been many many lessons. You know, you've shared some of those with us today. Uh, I'm going to try and bring this to a little bit of a close in terms of. If you're able to share with us, and again, you know, no company secrets here, but a little bit of what does the future hold for OL 2.0, maybe 3.0, in terms of some of those challenges, because it's a very competitive market that you're in. There's a lot of people who are fishing in that pond, and there's many different sort of ponds now. There's different organizations. There's a lot of uh, activity as well, a lot of mergers and acquisitions, a lot of different partnerships taking place. And how yourselves as a as an organization are gonna ensure yourself not just survive but thrive in that area like you've done all your life. And also to a certain level, Jan yourself as well, in terms of what's next for you. You know, you've you've done a lot, you've done a heck of a lot, you know, coming from a point in time where you were interviewed in terms of your tea making skills, uh, right up to you know the work that you've you know, well initially all the work that you've done with the, the youth. The YTS, the young, young young persons training scheme, uh, YTS, the work that you've done with YMCA, all the work that you've been and, and the level of different level of experience that you've shared. What's next for you uh, as well? So let's talk a little bit about OAL next stages and you on a personal level. Well, in terms of OAL. We have uh, finished doing the review in terms of systems for OAL 2.0. So next year, I've got to make sure we implement it without um, causing huge problems to customer service, which is uh, easier said than done, if I'm being really honest. So we've got all of that to now implement, which is going to be a huge transition plan. Longer term, we're probably not going to grow a lot bigger in terms of standards we are part of the emergency framework for the Department for Education when other EPAOs want to not continue in the market. So we will still review as part of our strategy, picking up some standards like that. 
Um, but in terms of our current portfolio of standards, our key strategic aims over the next two years is to grow volume on those standards. And one of our key strategic activities is retaining business as well as growing it. Growing it is secondary to retention of business. Mm. However, one of the things we're also exploring without giving too much away is the possibility of maybe emerging or acquiring another business is, is a possibility further down the line. Not for us to be taken over, the board don't want that, but for us to Good look point. at growth by acquisition. And I'm also exploring diversification in terms of other programmes and other funding streams with the team. So we spent quite a bit of time this year as part of the review of OAL 2.0 revitalizing our current strategy but also planning and developing and drafting new strategic objectives aims and plans with the board with the senior team but also sharing with the wider team and getting their input we've also talked to our employers and our customers because we're very big on that engagement and what they would want for the future because my big drive now is future-proofing the organisation. I'm very much focused over the next two to three years on that sustainability, ensuring OAL is there for the long term, ensuring that I can succession plan because I am going to stop working full time. I used to say I was going to retire, but I'm not going to retire. <laughs> I just need it to evolve. So I need to succession plan. I need to hand over to the next CEO a really secure, sound business that's got people in it can, that can support them to lead and develop OAL for the future. I think you've shared the OOL next steps and also at the same time in terms of where your sort of priorities are as well. Jan, it's been an absolute pleasure in terms of um, meeting with you once again. Uh, you know, we've met many, many times before, but but sitting down and having this conversation with you has been a different experience. It's been a very memorable experience and a lot of lessons here. I'm going to write all some of these up and apply them in my own uh, work, uh, particularly the shy Ben's get out. <laughs> People are going to think, what, what, what's, he, what's he talking about and what's he saying? But a lot of absolutely grounded lessons there. Uh, you know, you are absolutely you know distinguished figure in the in in our field of the field of education and uh, vocational training. You've got you know decades, thirty five years plus experience, and you know that that says a lot of things to actually survive in this sector for thirty five years and and not get bogged down and not get the buggers get you down as they say. The fact that you've stayed relevant, you've you've kept yourself up to date. You know you've you know you've moved from strength to strength. Yes, there's been obstacles. Yes, there's been challenges. That is life. Uh, you've shared with us your wealth uh, of knowledge and your experience. And honestly, I feel energized. Yes, it's been emotional. There's been a couple of times where I was a little bit teary-eared because it really does affect you. And when you see uh, and hear inspirational stories like your good self and some of the challenges that we've had to overcome and deal with, it puts a perspective to you and makes you stronger. 
I wish you well with your future-proofing plan. I wish you well in terms of sustainability. I wish you well in terms of implementing and embedding the plan that you've got and the culture that you've got in terms of the this long-term, uh, not just the survivability, but thriving in, in this very, very competitive sector. And wish you well in terms of the uh, plans that you have to diversify and the fact that you know you've you've said you know you you want to acknowledge yeah you know, we all look at new customers but you want to acknowledge and give value to the existing customers you have and and value those customers even further you know is not something i've heard from many people in terms of customer relationship management because everybody talks about new business development not many people talk about retaining the existing customers and valuing the existing customers so honestly that i think is a lesson for all of us in terms of uh, yes we can look at the the next step but look at the, the the plate that you've got and ensure that that's fully managed and fully utilized and, and i think and i wish you well in terms of building that secure and sound business uh, for generations to come and I see how the business evolves and how you involve and I love the line the fact that it's not about retiring it's about you know the changes that you're going to have and I wish you wish you all the best with that uh, and I'll leave the final words to you in terms of anything else that you wish to say and, and I salute and hats off to you Jan. Thank you very much and thank you so much for asking me to do this and the time's flown by and uh, it's it's interesting reviewing your life in this way so thank you. Thank you, Jan. Thank you to Jan Richardson Wild from Occupational Awards Limited for her insight, knowledge, and time. Next week, you'll be able to hear the first part of Safraz's conversation with Jenny Pelling, Director of Apprenticeship Development and Diversity at Kaplan. If you don't want to miss that, then remember to subscribe or follow us. If you're new to the podcast, let me tell you there are already 69 other Canny Conversations podcast episodes out there. And you can listen to all those past episodes by searching for Canny Conversations on your preferred podcast platform or go to 1386audio.com forward slash have a listen. We would also love it if you could review, subscribe or follow the podcast and please tell your friends and colleagues about us. If you'd like to know more, then go to cannyconversationspodcast.co.uk or go to Safraz's website, that's safraz.co.uk. Safraz has also written a series of easy-to-follow business books, Canny Bites, and these are available from cannybites.co.uk forward slash buy the book. As I said, we'll be back next week with the first part of Safraz's conversation with Jenny Pelling from Kaplan. So until then, we hope you have a good week. This is a 1386 audio production.